Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about us or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. If you have your Bible, go to 1 Samuel chapter number 16. And while you're turning there, I'm going to read a springboard verse out of Psalm 78 because I want to set the table for where we are going every week in the month of August. Psalm 78 is going to be our springboard verse. It's going to be on the screen for your reading. The Bible says in Psalm 78, quickly, give ear, O my people, it's on the screen, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. I want you to look at verse number four. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you this morning. We will not hide them from their children. Showing to the next, or rather, to the generation to come, the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For the month of August, each Sunday, we're going to preach a series entitled The Generation to Come. And I want everybody to open up your ears and perk up in spirit because even if you don't have children of your own, or even if yours have graduated from the nest and have left the coop. I want to encourage you this morning, as a Christian, as a part of the body of Christ, as a believer right here at New Grace, there is not a man or woman in this room that is exempt from the effect and the influence that we can have on the next generation together. And I want us to focus for a few weeks, starting the day, on how you and I are to see the next generation. You're in 1 Samuel chapter 16. This is the backdrop for a story that we're all very familiar with in chapter 17. It's a story about a young teenage boy who took down a nine and a half foot tall bully with a sling and a stone. Everybody in the room to some extent has heard about David killing Goliath. But what you may not be familiar with is the backstory that led him to that significant place in his life. I want to show you something that speaks a lot to us about the next generation regarding young David. Look at verse number one quickly. The Lord said to the prophet Samuel, how long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? This is not to be confused with Saul from the New Testament who became Paul. This is King Saul that the people wanted, that God anointed instead of a judge, and he became king over Israel. But he did not follow the ways of the Lord, so God rejected him from reigning over Israel. The prophet Samuel is disappointed in this, but God says, listen to me. I want you, look at the Bible, I want you to fill your horn with oil and go... I'm going to send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided me a king among his sons. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house in Bethlehem. And he says, all right, I'm here by divine instruction of the Lord to anoint one of your children to be the king that will replace Saul. Boy, you're talking about knowing that you just hit it big time. One of your kids is about to be royalty? That God... Pick one of your kids to be royalty. 
Jesse in a hurry parades all seven of his boys in front of the prophet. Eliab, the oldest, strapping, tall, perfect by way of external perspective. And each time one of these boys stands in front of Samuel, the Lord says, it ain't him. Keep looking, it's not him. Next, it ain't him. No, this is not the one I've chosen. No, this is not the one I've intended. He goes through seven of Jesse's sons. And then Samuel looks at him, and it's in verse 11. He says, are here all thy children? Are are these all your kids? And look what Jesse says. Well, there remaineth yet the youngest, but he's, he's out there in the pasture keeping sheep. He's a young shepherd boy. And he says this to Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Check this out. Here comes this young shepherd boy. He's probably got his learner's license. He's about 15 years old. It says he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. He was wiry and dirty, but he was handsome. And he says this. The Lord says to the prophet, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord, my God, this is the difference maker. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. I want to start this series off and preach with this title today, You Never Know. You never know. The line of thought that many scholars and theologians take, and many preachers as well, is that David was overlooked and unnoticed by his earthly father, Jesse. When it came time to parade potential in front of the prophet, Jesse picked seven out of his eight children and never bothered to retrieve his son from the field except by the request of the preacher man. It's almost like maybe he didn't purposely overlook him or purposely put him last, not just because maybe he was youngest, but in Jesse's mind, maybe to his defense, it just didn't seem possible that little old David out there working with the sheep was ever fit to be a king. Like, he didn't look at David and see what David could have been. It just didn't exist. In his wildest imagination, not just one of his children, but David among his children would have been God's first round draft pick. Can I say this to you? You never know what God's got on his mind regarding your child. Sometimes... We look at our kids, where they are, the stage of life that they're in, or the season of life that we're in, and truth be told, this morning, all we see is what's on the outside. We see the messes they create. We see the food that they waste. We see the homework they forget. We see the stuff that they break. We see the friends that they make. We see the grades that they bring home. 
we see all the little things that can agitate and aggravate, and it's so easy to see your kid and, and look at it through a, an earthly perspective or a fleshly perspective or an educational perspective. And sometimes we look at our kid and we don't really see what's there. And, and we sure as heck don't naturally look at the next generation, whether it's your kid or somebody else's kid or one of the children on the other side of this room right now being ministered to, and we don't really see what God sees. In fact, if I'm honest with you today, I have to ask God to change out the lenses in my look because sometimes I see what's not there. I see what's not yet and I have to focus. I like what Paul said. He said, don't look at the things which are seen because the things which are seen are temporal. But look rather at the things which are not seen for the things which are not seen are eternal. I, I, I think we need to get the perspective that God wants us to have from this story and start looking at our kids and imagining what could be. What may be, what might be, who is to say that God doesn't have a divine appointing for the child that is seated in your, in your car on the way home today? What is to say that God hasn't divinely established a powerful plan for the child that you're raising under your roof? Who is to say that the next pastor of the church couldn't be sitting in there right now being fed out of a bottle? What? I, listen, I've been saying it for weeks, and it continues to bear repeating. We are the setup team. We're just supposed to light the torch and leave it for them. We're just supposed to set them up. Our ceiling is supposed to be their floor. We're supposed to pass on something that has the look of a legacy, not a lifetime. If it's a lifetime, it dies when you die. But if it's a legacy, it'll outlive you. If it's a legacy, it'll go on. It'll walk on. It'll live on. It'll speak on. And even when you're gone, the very fingerprint of the impression you make will still be alive because you set the next generation up to not just be successful, but to know God, to walk with him, and represent him in this world. You never know. And, and, and what I want to do today, and I'm just going to mention two of them, and I'll preach the third one for time's sake, but I want to show you three, three things we need to see when we look at the next generation. Now, you may put to the test here in a second because you're going to pick them up. And they're going to be running around your feet, little crumb grabbers running around and, 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 and hanging on you and pulling on you and pulling hair and biting and slapping the other one. And you have to change the diaper before you get home. And then they're going to sit there and they're going to make a mess at IHOP. Now all that stuff's going to happen. And they're going to put you to the test this week. All that stuff, all those things, are never supposed to override the perspective God gives you to see what it is he sees when you look at them. I want you to see three things. I want you to see God's perception of your child. It's the same thing we see with David. I want you to see God's people around your child. And I want you to see God's plan for your child. Quickly, God instructed the household of David Samuel and even Jesse the father. Do not look on the outward appearance. Y'all just stay with me. Landis, I'm just going to casserole this thing and move quick. I'm not going to bog down in the introductory notes. He said, do not get caught up in looking on the external because the outward appearance is very misleading. And he says this, I need you to see from my perception because I have put some things in your kid that you didn't know were there. 
Can I say this? The next generation is like a Cracker Jack box. Yeah, you might not even like caramel popcorn, but everybody loves a prize. And you know what? The, you, know, you know the goal and the objective we have as parents and grandparents and guardians and members of this church as adults? We get to dig inside the box and extract, bring to the surface what God has placed in our children by way of potential. Be careful what you say and be careful of your silence. Because your words frame the imagination of your child. Your silence sometimes is, is sometimes deafening. And you and I have an opportunity to look at what God sees in our kids and speak it. I believe what the Bible says when it says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. I want the next generation to, my God, I'm about to preach this place. Mm -hmm. I need an organ right now. Listen to me. Listen to me. I want to look at my kids and I want to look at your kids and I want the Holy Spirit to change our focus and to change our focus and start seeing what he put in our kids. Can I submit to you there is greatness in our children? Can I submit to you that there is goodness in our children? Can I, can I remind everybody in the room that has been a recipient of the grace of God, the same grace that God manifested in your life and the same mercy that God has smothered you with and the same love that has picked you up and carried you thus far in life? Can I tell you something? God wants to do exceeding abundantly above all you ask or think, and he wants to do it for your children. It don't have to stop with you. It doesn't have to stay with you. It doesn't have to die with you. I wish I had a Holy Ghost witness up in this place right now. If you are in this room and you believe that God can change and challenge your perception of the next generation and start seeing them like God sees them, it'll change the way you look at them. If you could see God's people around the next generation. Here's something interesting. David was not anointed by his father. The impartation of God, divine knowledge, divine revelation, did not happen at the hands of his daddy. It happened at the hands of somebody God sent to his daddy. My God, if you could see the people that God has put around our kids, it would change the way you started leveraging those people. Guess what? Every kid in this room... Every adult can bear witness with this right here in honesty, but every kid is going to get to a point where they live beyond your primary voice of influence. You are going to, I know it's heartbreaking, but one day you're no longer going to be the biggest voice of influence in your kid's life. Are you saying that they're not going to listen to me? That's exactly what I'm saying. (laughs) They're going to seek out another voice of influence from a peer, a teacher, a coach, they're they're, going to look for a YouTuber. They're going to look for a celebrity. They're going to look for a rap artist. Listen, I know what I'm talking about because I did it. Why did I start talking like Jay-Z? Because that's all I listen to. Why did I think like Conway Twitty and want to live? Because that's all I listen to. Why did I want to carry myself like Al Pacino when I got to high school. Because that's all I watched. Let's, let's, let me tell you something. Am I saying, am I, am I, am I going to tell you we got a 50-gallon drum out here? We're going to burn a bunch of CDs, amen? No, we ain't going to burn CDs. They got it on their phone. They don't need CDs. Burn your phone. Oh, yeah. Let me know how that works. Let me know how that works for you. 
Listen to me. We have to understand that our children are going to reach a point, inevitably, if not already, where they're going to seek out a different validation from another voice. So as a parent, why not leverage the ones that God brings into your life? If God provides a student group in your church, right now we are praying for a student director. I believe there is somebody out there that God is going to bring to our church that can be our next student director. Pastor Jeff has retired. Listen to me. Can I tell you something? Look at me. Look up. Look up here. Look up in, look up in here. Pastor Jeff is too old. Is he still cool? Yes. Is he too old? Absolutely. God has allowed our executive pastor to embark on a journey with me to take our church places that it needs to go. And I've been watching God work in his life and Heather's life and Jackson's life, and, and God's been setting them up for where they're going to go and where we're going to go. He, he is not a youth pastor. He is not a student pastor. Is he cool? Yes! Is he too old? Absolutely. I've said it enough, yeah. Everywhere me and this joker have been lately, everywhere we go lately, I am so, I just, can I, can I rant? Can I, because I'm not going to get on Facebook later and say crap incognito. I say it, I say it out loud in real life. <laughs> I am so tired of everybody asking if we're twins. Not here. Y'all know we're not. Y'all know we're not. You can be around the seats 30 seconds. You're like, there ain't no way they're related. But everywhere we go, are y'all twins? Are y'all brothers? We had one joker ask if we were together. I was like, I, you sh he, he's going to bury you. Like, he, you don't understand. What were we talking about? Oh, voices of influence. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I am believing God to send somebody, and, and it's not the only, this is not the only position that, that, that I'm believing God for. We need, we need God to send somebody, not, not, not passionate, somebody ready. Not somebody ambitious, somebody prepared. Because I love the growth I'm seeing. I love what God's doing. And there are students here this morning, and I want to know that you're here. I want you to check in. I want you to get your donut, all that stuff that we set up there in the lobby. I, I want to know that you're here because I want to know if we're coming from Commerce. I want to know if we're coming from Clarksville. I want to know where you're from because I want to be able to have student environments on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. I want them to sit in their section, and when it's time for preaching, they go up there on the hill, and they do their own thing with their own pastor. And I want us to be able to have a Wednesday night environment, and I want to be able to have it in commerce. Because more than half of the students that come to this church are coming from where we came from. And we need to have that down there. And I'm believing, listen to me, and let me tell you what my objective is as a parent. Am I the pastor? Yes. Am I a parent? Yes. But I would rather somebody else speak into my child's life. You know why? Because I'm probably not number one on the list anymore. I need another voice. You know what I need? God, send a Samuel. 
Send a Samuel. Send a Samuel who has their horn filled with the anointing of God, the oil of the Holy Ghost that will lay hands on our children, that will pray prayers of power over our children. Let me tell you something. We ought to be a church that believes the very best is yet to come, and it ain't going to just stop with us. It's going to live on. It's going to go on. It's going to land on our sons and our daughters, and the very best that God has is going to be on our babies. If you believe that, somebody help me give him praise. See God's perception of your child, it'll change the way you look at them. See God's people around your child, it'll change the way you leverage those people. But I want you to go back to verse number one, and I want to show you this little takeaway. And this is, listen, there ain't nobody exempt. Even if you're in the room and you're not raising a child of your own, this is for everybody. In verse number one, can we go to one? Do we have it? I want to take one phrase from verse number one. 1 Samuel 16, 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, look, man, I'm done with Saul. Some things aren't meant to last forever. I've rejected him from reigning over Israel. Now fill thine horn with oil and go. Watch this. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite. Look at the phrase. For I have provided me a king among his sons. I want you to see this. Before Samuel, Jesse, David ever knew it, God in his sovereign foreknowledge already had a plan that this smelly, scrawny, many scholars believe he was, he was a ginger. He was a ginger prince, red-headed, freckle-faced, working with sheep in the field. And when the whole world overlooked him, God looked down from heaven and said, that's the one. And we don't live in an Old Testament covenant where just a few get in under the blessing of God. We live in a new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ where everyone's a member of the kingdom, where everyone is a part of royal blood. Oh, some of y'all don't believe what I'm preaching right now, but I believe it enough for all of you. Some of us have understood the power and reality of what the Bible teaches, that our children are cherished of the Lord, that they were worth dying for, that they were worth raising from the dead for. Oh, my God, I wish I had a witness. Is there any mamas, is there any daddies in the house that can help me just right for a second? Can we take a praise break and declare that God looked ahead in time and he saw our baby boy, he saw our little girl, and he set them off to the side, and he had a plan, and that plan was in the king of all kings, the Messiah, the Christ, who gave his blood to give them life. Somebody better help me rejoice. Somebody better help me praise him. If you believe God had a plan, and that plan was redemption. That plan was restoration. That plan was bringing our children into a relationship. I have provided me a king among the sons. If you could... If you could see God's plan for your kid or the next generation, it will change the way you lead them. 
Three little nuggets. Write it down if you're taking notes. Let God tattoo it to your brain. You're going to need this one day. Enlist your child. Don't ever entitle them. You know why David was ready for a crown? Because he had sheep dung on his shoes. He was a worker. He wasn't afraid of a little bit of hustle. He had some drive. He had something that doesn't exist in this day and age. It's called work ethic. He had a daddy that put him in the field and gave him a job, gave him responsibility, taught him some discipline, and taught him what it meant to have your own ministry. Can I say something very quickly? If you teach your child to do nothing when it comes to the things of God, when they get older, they will do nothing when it comes to the things of God. And if you'll teach them how to do small things for God now, they will do great things for God later. If, God, if you can teach your child that the service and the faithfulness, to, I'm not talking about being no consumer. I ain't talking about this 21st century mindset where they come in and check if you're teaching your kid to go to church once a week and check a box and show up and pay God a little rendezvous date visit you are teaching your child one your child probably has a very misconstrued view of the gospel and what it means to actually be a biblical Christian two you're teaching your child that a consumer mentality is what Christianity is rooted in the moment you receive grace and the moment you are regenerated by the Holy Spirit and you are born again, John chapter 3 and verse number 3, when you are born again of the Holy Spirit because you put your, when you recognize, when you recognize that you are lost and you cannot save yourself, when it hits you that you are godless and unfinished and there is a vacuum and a void in your soul that only Jesus Christ can fit and fix, and you confess him as Lord, you repent of your sin. The moment you do that, the Bible says you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old things pass away and all things become new, and Jesus comes into your life. He's not just Savior. He becomes Lord. He's not just King. He's your God. He's your friend. He's your Father. When you do that, and your kid realizes that, your kid receives that, can a three-year-old do that? No. Some nine-year-olds can, some nine-year-olds can't. Some 15-year-olds can, some 15-year-olds can't. We would call that, and this is man-made terminology, but it's, it's, it's good terminology. We would call that the distinguishing difference in the age of accountability. A three-year-old doesn't have the ability to reject Jesus because they don't know even how to receive him. But your kid reaches an age of accountability. Many of, my, many of my children, they claim, all four of them claim to know Christ at an early age with a childlike faith believing in Jesus. Over the years, they have grown an understanding of what that faith is. And don't get me wrong, there have been some seasons of their life where what they believed was really put to the test. And if your faith doesn't get tested, how do you even know if it's real? You say you believe, but to believe is to act as if it were true. And I'm not interested in how we act as if it were true when everything is going all right. 
you can, don't, look at, don't look at me on the mountaintop and gauge the degree of my faith. Look at me when I'm down in the valley. Look at me when I am down to the last knot in the rope of hope. If you want to know what I believe and you want to know where my faith lies, look at me when the devil is hitting me with everything he's got. Look at me when I am face down for the count and the coach is about to throw in the towel. If you want to know what we really believe, watch us when we're in a storm. Watch us when we're going through a fire. Watch us when we are face down on the mat and we're about to hit the three count but I'm going to tell you something bless God there is a faith that has been imparted to the generation of this church and we have realized and we have recognized that apart from the power of God we are nothing apart from Jesus we have nothing I can't live without him I can't walk I'm about to do my own shouting while I'm doing my own preaching I can't walk without him I can't live without him I can't function without him I can't think without him I can't talk without him I can't preach without him I can't praise without him. I can't worship without him. Bless God, I want you to know that I understand and I've recognized that had it not been the Lord that was on my side, I would have fell, I would have fallen apart, but I'm glad that I have built my life on a solid rock, not shifting sand, not traditionalism, not religion, but on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do I have got anybody in this generation that can help me rejoice if you know I've built my life on a solid rock? A solid foundation. Somebody said, you don't even preach like a white man. The best compliment we could get. Hey, yeah. They ain't ready for that. I got it in me. They ain't ready for that. Let me say something. All that right there, letting the river go, letting God just prophesy and exhort, that ain't show. That ain't presentation. That ain't the dynamics of pulpiteering and communication. That's glory. That's rejoicing. Excuse me if I'm a preacher that praises while I preach. Excuse me if I'm a preacher that rejoices while I preach. Pardon me if I get happy while I preach. Pardon me if it starts connected in my head that I get to live what I'm talking about. Pardon me if I get to look at my kids and realize they are not victims of the onslaught of demonic oppression, but they are victors today because I got a Bible that tells me if God be for us, who can be against us? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. God, if they get that. You know what I don't like about old Jesse? He didn't do everything right. But he also recognized it wasn't too late for God to make it right. Oh, crap, I forgot about Davy. I left him out there in the field. The very moment, watch this. I'm going to help you right here. Daddy, listen, Daddy, listen to me. The very moment God said, my plan is for him to be king. You know what Jesse, you know what Jesse said? He's all yours. He's all yours. I mean, he's at that age where he kind of going to do his own thing anyway. 
I mean, every now and then I see him out there in that field while he's keeping sheep. Looking like he's sucking on a flash drive. Some of y'all are with me right now. Some of y'all are with me right now. I see him out there when the sheep are sleeping, and he got a he got a fire going out there on that Judean hillside. I could have I could have swore I saw some puff puff pass. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. Get delivered. Don't get mad. Don't get religious on me right now. Yeah, I think I think I think he stole some trade goods and made a deal with some Amalekites out there. But he's sticking with the sheep. And you know what else? Goliath wasn't the first battle he ever fought. Because while he was out there being faithful to what God trusted him with, the, the Bible says a lion and a bear. This boy's in 10th grade. 10th grade. Like he's doing good to have underarm hair. He got that little, that, that little pencil-thick mustache that he ain't ever shaved because, bless God, he's proud of it. And God forbid a sheep lick it off, but he's proud of it. Anybody listening? And the Bible says a lion and a bear came against the flock to take a sheep. And David says, well, I grabbed him by the beard. What? I was thinking about this so much over the weekend, Jeff, that I dreamed last night a lion was trying to get me. And I never took him by the beard. He grabs a lion. He grabs a bear. He, he, he says, I slew them. Got some of that Shakespearean spirit. I, I slew them. Joker killed a wild animal. I ain't talking about a dingo or a coyote. I ain't talking about a possum or a raccoon. A lion. A bear. This boy at 15, as a teenager, started, started figuring out what God had put on him. Started figuring out what he was capable of in the kingdom before he was ever a king. And so when he stood in front of Goliath, the Bible says that he had a sling, he had a stone, he had a shepherd's bag. In that shepherd's bag, he had his script. His script is where he wrote all of his psalms. And I just believe in that shepherd's bag as Goliath is standing there mouthing and cursing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I believe that old David reached his hand. Before he ever grabbed one of the stones, he reached in there and he felt that bear claw in that lion's tooth. And he thought, if you only knew what my God could do. And the Bible says he had five smooth stones that he took from the riverbed. You say he didn't have any faith, preacher. He was afraid he was going to miss. No, 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 no. The Chronicles teach us that Goliath had four brothers. So he got five stones, one for each bonehead that he would drop like a bad habit. And the Bible says that he put that sling and that stone together. He whirled that thing around and didn't even get within reach and dropped him down. If you, if you read between the lines, 
and you look at what David said, and you look at how David said it, you would realize that he knew how to engage in the spirit realm during a spirit war. I wish I had time to go Michael Heiser on y'all right now, but you don't understand how much spirituality was rooted in the unseen of this battle. And this Nephilim descendant who stood here in opposition of his God. This is what I like. He got fighting mad when they brought God into it. I want to raise the next generation of new grace to get fighting mad when people start bringing God into it. You can do what you want. You can say what you want. But when you start messing around with the God that pulled my soul out of hell, when you start messing around with the God that wrote my name down in the Lamb's Book of Life, when you start talking about the one that loves me so, the one that I serve dearly, the one that is my everything and my all and all, when you start dealing with that, honey, we go, we going to have problems. And he took a stand. And what I love about David we ain't got another service after this, so let me just wax eloquent for a second. What I love about David that tells us something about the next generation is he looked at problems differently than everybody else looked at problems. Everybody else was thinking, well, that guy right there is bad to the bone. He's nine and a half foot tall. He's got an armor bearer. He's got a shield. He's got uh, a helmet. He's got sheaves upon his legs. He's got a spear the size of a, a size of a weaver's beam and a sword that would take you three minutes to pull from its sheath. All we've got is our spears, our swords, our shields. Here comes a kid. Here comes a kid. And he looks at it completely different than anybody else. He's like, well, you know what they say about those real big jokers. You don't want to get too close to them because if they wrap you up, they're going to eat you up. So how do I take him down? How do I defeat him? And David, watch this now. David leveraged advanced technology. They didn't have... MacBook Pros. They didn't have Apple Watches. Advanced technology was, do I want to use a sword? Or do I want to use a sling? What's this. The next generation thought outside the box when it came to winning the war. Take their phone. Go ahead, take their phone. What are you going, now I'm not saying, I'm not saying there ain't times where you don't, where you need to say, all right, help, that's mine. For 24 hours, and you know how that goes, 24 becomes 6, but that, let me have your phone. I get this, I get this. Now, hold on, kids, I'm coming to your defense. Don't stone me yet. Listen to me. Go ahead, take it. One day, they are going to walk out the door of your house, and if your primary objective is to always protect them and never prepare them, your child is going to be blindsided by the realities of the world. Instead of, instead of letting their phone be a weapon, teach them how to, be, how to turn that phone into a tool. Teach them how to be kingdom-minded with it. Help them 
come up with content to post that will actually reflect their true identity. And You can take it from them. You can put them in a bunker, put them in a basement, or make them live in a bubble. But I'm going to tell you something. One day they're going to walk out there and Goliath's going to be waiting on them. And if they don't know what it's like to fight with lion and bears and they don't know what it's like to keep sheep and they don't know what it's like to have responsibility, they're going to get out there and they are going to be overwhelmed with the culture of the world. You say, my kids' social media is crap. Well, they've probably been paying attention to yours. They follow in your footsteps. You're the the one making the tracks in the sand. They just following you. I know a couple of y'all are ready for me to be done. Yeah. It's tough. Come on, JJ, let's close. Prepare them. Don't just protect them. Last one, launch them and don't limit them. Launch them. The moment God's plan to your child is revealed, listen, get out of the way. You know what's more important than what you want for your kid? What God wants for your kid. You know what's more important than what your kid wants for themselves? What God wants for them. Yeah, we can give Jesse a hard time and say, well, he didn't do this, and he didn't do that, and he overlooked David. But I'm going to tell you something Jesse did right. When it was revealed to him, this is God's plan. He said, David, you need to go with God. And you need to, you need to, you need to move out. He's 15 years old. You need to move out. Take your heart playing skills. Now, look, don't go down there and play Leonard Skinner. There's an evil spirit on the king, and you're going to have to go in there, and the only crown you got on your head is oil. He's the one wearing the jewels right now. What you need to do is go in there and just learn how to worship and minister to your spiritual authority. Go in there and be faithful. Just like you were keeping your hand on the rod and the staff, go keep your hand on the harp and just minister. Fifteen years old, he knew how to worship. Fifteen years old, he was so in tune with God that he was appointed to be an encourager to the current king. Here's what Jesse did right. He let God make it right. If I had a time machine, I would go back and I would do some things different. There are conversations I would have with my children. There are conversations I wouldn't have had. There are things by way of my example I would do differently. And the more spiritual you get and the further you get with God, the more impact the negative has. Because your kid is waiting for everything you do to be scrutinized under the lens of hypocrisy. Remember how it was when you got saved, you were at war? When it came to you surrendering your life to Jesus, you remember how much of a struggle that was? You were looking for every reason to push away from God, every reason to not be in church, every reason to not give your life to Jesus. What makes you think your kid's no different? They're going to do the same thing. So they're going to look at everything you do and go, uh, 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 see, that ain't real. You're a hypocrite. Look at all these people in this room. Look at all these hypocrites. Every one of us is a hypocrite. Somebody who says one thing and does another. Let me tell you what you can do right. Let God have his way in your kid's life. Well, I want them to grow up 
And I want them to have this education. I want them to have this ladder of success. And I want them to have this kind of career path. And I'm trying to, let me ask you something. Are you positioning them for heaven? And are you positioning them for the relationship with Jesus Christ? What is your main goal? Because if you could see God's plan for your next generation, it would change the way you lead them. You would launch them instead of limiting them. If one of my kids came to me and said, Daddy, I think God wants me to move a thousand miles away and serve the Lord in this capacity, it's going to tear my heart out of my chest. I don't want my kids going nowhere. But when it comes time for them to wear the crown God designated for them, you know what I'm going to have to do? You know what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to say, if it be the Lord's will, it's exactly what I want. I would rather you serve God in the perfect will over your life a thousand miles away than be living down the hall in my house according to what I want. I'm going to tell you something. You know what God's going to do for some of our kids? He's going to take them away from us because we ask God to set them apart. And sometimes the ultimate separation to sanctification is when he pulls them out from under our wings. It's going to break your heart. It's going to hurt like hell. And you're not going to like it. But I'm going to tell you something. It's exactly what God wants. Some of them may stay at the house longer than we want them to. Some of them them may leave and then come back. Let me tell you something. If you have a kid that leaves and has to come back, that same door that opened to let them out needs to be the same door that opens to let them back in. You say, I want an opportunity to demonstrate God's love to my kid. It may be when they repent. It may be when they return. It may not have been in round one. It may be in round two. And they may come back with their head hanging low. They may come back looking defeated. And you got an opportunity to be a prodigal father to your prodigal son and show them what real love looks like. Hey, in closing, my prayer and your prayer right now in this moment, not just to those who dedicated their children and their family, God, I want to see what you see regarding the next generation. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted on Tuesdays.